before we start this show, this is a movie that we're about to talk about by the director Carl Reiner. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Creator, Great career. Illustrious career. Illustrious career. career. Illustrious career whose son Rob Reiner also had an incredible career with some hits and misses. With some misses. Same thing with Carl Reiner. Got a few misses in there. But even with the hits and using this movie as the prime example, has there ever been another pair of directors who fuck less than these two directors. <laughs> they make movies about sex, but seem to have zero understanding of sex from top to bottom. <laughs> like... Yes. Or zero interest in like portraying the, a sense of sexuality in any frame of the movie. Oh my God. So in this movie, uh, Kirstie Alley fucks Sam Elliott to death. And during the sex scene in question, the sex that is so good that Sam Elliott, literally his heart explodes and he dies. The things that they have Kirstie Alley saying, I can't even. I gotta, I can't even. There, she's going like, ooh, ooh, are you a jogger? Oh, what's that you're doing? Interesting. Whoa, okay, cowboy. She goes, ooh, Jiminy Christmas. Like, <laughs> I is it such a pitch that uh, I watched it with Catherine and she was like, oh, but they're not actually going to be having sex, right? They're going to be doing something else <laughs> because it just seems so ridiculous. But it's, no, no, they are having sex. They are. It's so ridiculous. and But also what she's saying is revoltingly unattractive. <laughs> this is the other thing Catherine said to me after the sex scene. She said, how did this fucking guy stay hard the whole time with her saying this kind of shit? Yes! <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was thinking the whole movie, because the, the whole scene, because I was cringing. I was like, oh, God, stop saying that stuff. Stop, please, please. This is so disgusting. Stop. And, and she's going, still ooh, fucking ooh. her. Yeah, I mean, he must have had... She's basically going, like, down in front. Who aruga! <laughs> I mean, at, the, at that point, do you think he may have already been dead? And ju and just had like a death a dead a dead boner, because he was wearing a condom. It was acting as some kind of cock ring, and it was like a dead man's boner. Because I mean, they... he he's not making any noises there. <laughs> it's all her. Like well, this guess... is this is actually a theory that could explain this scene because he literally makes no sounds in that shot. That shot that is like panning over their clothes in the hotel room, and she's saying like. D dear lord santa claus my chimney's <laughs> aflame like he says absolutely nothing yeah i mean i so thought he might in the she movie might actually be having sex with a dead body that could be true and they do actually later in the movie raise the possibility that he was dead the at least part of the time because kirstie alley says uh oh he died after I had sex with him. And she goes, I hope it was after. Oh. So right. I'm just saying the movie leaves open that possibility. It seems pretty clear to me that the only way a person could maintain an erection with someone saying the things that she was saying in that scene, you'd have to be dead with an, ere an erection still hanging on. Oh, oh my... My, 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 Aunt Jemima. <laughs> oh, whoa, sweet, sweet, oh, this is delightful. 
Oh my God, you are truly gifted. What is that you're doing? Oh, that, that is that's good. That's, that's very good. Yada. Oh, oh, this is very pleasurable. Oh, oh, in the gut of the vida. Oh, my, yes, yes. From 30 years ago, this the week that we recorded it. Uh, I'm your host, Ricky Camilleri. I'm talking to uh, my co-host, Chris Chafin. Hi, Chris. They, the concept sounds so stupid when you say it in that tone of voice. Really? I tried to follow it up by saying your name in an even worse tone of voice. Because oh. last episode, you criticized me for saying your name as if I, I, I had disdain. But I actually had s- tried to say it in a way that didn't sound that way. And this time, I tried to say it in a way that sounded that way. And you didn't even comment on it. So I think it's I think you got to clean the shit out of your ears, to be honest. I mean, I think you just can't fucking do anything right, Ricky. That's what I think. <laughs> Hey man, come on! I'm I'm having a hard day. Okay, I had to see oh, yeah. I had to see my ex girlfriend earlier today. She told me that she's dating someone new. It's like a whole, uh, you know. I don't need to be told that I'm not doing anything right. Okay, you're supposed to be not just a co-host, but you're supposed to be a friend too. Uh, today we are talking about um, apparently a movie that exists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only kind of at this point. I will say it was very hard to track down to watch. It's called Sibling Rivalry. It stars um, Trump supporter, uh, all around batshit fucking crazy person, Kirstie Alley, whose Twitter feed is like looking at a oh cat God. on mescaline banging around a cush ball filled with battery acid. Um, saying things like, uh, I don't know much about QAnon, but they make some great points, and it's all in caps, you know? Yeah, it's it's like... Uh, QAnon, uh, I'm also against pedophilia. Thank you very much. You should learn a thing or two about Hollywood. Hashtag Ted Danson. Hashtag Awoken. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's her, Scott Bakula from uh, Oh Boy, Quantum Leap. Um, Ed and O'Neil. Star Trek Enterprise, of course. Uh, Ed O'Neill from My Wife, Married with <laughs> Children. Um, Jamie Gertz from... Uh, uh, less than zero and um sam elliott has a small role in the movie as this carrie fisher carrie fisher oh um and it's, it's, it's honestly a great cast it's honestly a great cast all wasted <laughs> all wasted everyone is wasted no one seems like they're on the same page in this movie at all anyway the movie's directed by carl reiner who rest in peace sir carl reiner uh it seems like you may have been um in the hospital during this movie and no one was directing it because uh i it doesn't seem to me that anyone is on the same page nor anybody was making this movie it feels like it was literally made for a a hospice waiting room 
for people so to I, fall asleep I, to while they're dying. I, there, there's a long entry on AFI, on the American Film Institute, about this movie. What? Uh, why? I, I don't know why. <laughs> but, like, it says that, um, according to Variety, a week before he signed on to do this movie, Carl Reiner had said he couldn't find any good scripts and he was just going to stop directing for a while and write a novel. And then Rob Reiner sent him this script and he loved it and signed on to direct. <laughs> oh my God. And this, the screenplay is written by, uh, this is her only credited screenplay though. Digging around, we found that she had, um, uh, other unproduced screenplays that had gone through like development processes or at least script coverage at, at, at um, at studios, her name is Martha Goldrich. Is that is that correct? Is that her name, Chris? I think Martha Gold, Gold Martha Goldrich. Yeah, and it's like she's she's only written one other thing that I could find, which was a novel in 1999 about Hollywood wives and the fancy elementary school their kids go to, which I and it's supposed to be absolutely awful. Uh, but this is also why I think I found an article in Los Angeles Magazine today from like the year after. Uh, that quoted her and it said her two kids went to this school in Malibu. It was a public school, but it's apparently like a very, very fancy public school. So I'm like obsessed with knowing who this person is, what their life has been about, like, you know, not to be sexist, but like who they're married to, like, or who their parents are, like how they have enough money to be living the life they seem to be living. And, but yeah, like, she, doesn't, she, she doesn't have any other credits as a writer published or i mean she wrote a book but that can't net you that much money and i can't imagine she made that much money as the writer of this screenplay I'm maybe sure yeah. 75 grand 100 grand at the most yeah and like but then how does she keep doing this stuff right how in the world did rob reiner get this script i thought it was going to be like his girlfriend or his wife like no offense you know but uh, apparently not. I mean, I Googled it a lot. Apparently not. Apparently not. But, like, I I don't know what the fuck is going on. I Like, I identify with her in some ways because it's like, God, I mean, if I had one script made into a movie, that would be great, you know? Because like, so, I, I, kept, I kept thinking, like, oh, she only has one credit. But then I was like, well, what if you had one credit? Like, that would be awesome, you know? So in a way, like, no hate. But also the movie is, like, really, really bad. And it's in the script. The script is bad, you know? Should we talk about what the movie's about? Yes, please. Um, uh, I'm just going to run through it kind of quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. So we can get to talking about the things. I have, I for some reason, took extensive notes on this movie. Um, <laughs> Definitely wasn't a waste of time. Uh, this movie is about... Kirstie Alley is the main character in uh, a outrageously out-of-breath performance that I will talk about with uh, complete fascination later on. Uh, she's the wife of Scott Bakula, who is a, a doctor and a family of doctors who are all very type A and very busy and have no time for Kirstie Alley and very much take, adva- take advantage of her and kind of think very little of her. And yeah, she's her- basically their slave. They're always going like, give me a cup of coffee and make it quick. I got two colonoscopies at 9 a.m. And then they're like, and then she comes with the coffee and they're like, ah, too late, gotta go. Um, and, uh, and, and, and she has a sister played by Jamie Gertz who's like, you know, um, for some reason has this weird Brooklyn accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. That, or no, I, I mean, Jamie Gertz is from Chicago, so maybe it's a Chicago accent, but nobody else has it. And she's also kind of like the the slutty sister who uh, keeps calling out Kirstie Alley for only having slept with one person in her life and probably never having had an orgasm. Oh my God, and, but Ricky, please, the way, I do want to talk about this in detail, but the way they talk about sex in this movie is insane. And then the scene between the two of them, she says like, have you ever even had one? <laughs> yeah, the way they talk about sex in this 
movie is like a 13 year old writing a play after watching two episodes of Friends. It's uh, Ricky, in this movie, terrible. one one female character says to another female character, "What are you on your period?" <laughs> Which is like, I wonder if that was like a Carl Reiner rewrite special. Yeah, Catherine was going, a woman wrote this. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, a woman wrote this. Um <laughs> uh and uh one one afternoon uh after a pretty hard day uh being Kirstie Alley, uh Kirstie Alley meets Sam Elliott in the uh in in the grocery store. Uh, they spark up a little conversation. They uh, go to a hotel and <laughs> have a little um, uh, penis and vagina sexual activity. Where uh, Kirstie Alley, um, while getting plowed, says of the most of the most unsexual, ridiculous things you've ever heard. The kind of stuff that um, would maybe be funny coming out of Will Ferrell's mouth. Um, yes, but in this maybe. is just sort of circa like 2005 only, right? And this is just will haunt me in my dreams for for the rest of my life. Um, Sam Elliott dies, and as that happens, there also happens to be someone in the hotel played by Bill Pullman, who is a curtains drape, a vertical drape salesman. Um, in the or vertical blinds, uh, vertical blinds, vertical blinds salesman. For. In the weirdest performance in the movie, the weirdest performance in the movie that also seems to be the only thing that makes sense in the movie, but nobody else understands yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so wait, I mean, wait. I mean, not to sidetrack us a little bit, but like the whole thing about this movie is, I would say, it's pitched at a level of like a, it's like a zany sex farce. Okay, that is what the script is. It's like a, it's like a movie. I, w- it's like a play I would have been in in community theater when I was thirteen. Okay, it's like a, it's supposed to have this very like. Doors slamming, everybody, you know, is like having sex with everyone and everything's kooky. But like, Bill Pullman is the only person who knows that that is what he is in. Everyone else thinks they're in a very serious movie. (laughs) And they're like, like kind of they get that some of the lines are funny, but they're mostly playing it completely deadpan. Whereas Bill Pullman is wearing like a jacket that's like three sizes too big and it's like bright blue. And he's always like sweating and tugging at his collar and going like, oh boy, you know? He's got like a weird comb over as well. Like the hair is kind of like like if if it had been made in 1999, it would almost be like an emo cut. Like right. it's like diagonally across his forehead. Uh, and his brother. But, but is, that is what the movie should be. He's right, but but it, like because no one else is doing it, he seems really bad, you know. Uh, and then Ed O'Neill plays his brother, who is running to be the chief of police, and and just like such a weird, tacked-on plot that. They try to inter like try to connect to the rest, but it just doesn't really work. Um, and uh, Pullman and Kirstie Alley end up through a series of events in the hotel room with the dead body, and then they try to kind of dispose of it themselves in one of the most unfunny comedy renditions oh of "What do we do with the dead body?" Um, oh my god. And then, like, so uh, far below very bad things, like, you know. Yeah, so far below the trouble with Harry, which is like my least favorite Hitchcock movie. Oh um, and then. After that, you know, it turns out that that guy was the long lost son and brother of Scott Bakula, Kirstie Alley's husband's family. Jamie Gertz, the sister, falls in love with the sheriff cop or the soon to be sheriff cop, but Bill Pullman feels guilty, turns himself in. They have to solve it. She has to admit to her husband that she had an affair. The voiceover kicks back in for the last oh minute of the movie. I, fa- I failed to mention that there is voiceover at the top and the bottom of the movie. <laughs> in just, the middle. Just, and, yeah. just like any great movie has. 
uh, voiceover only at the top and oh bottom. My God. Oh my God. And like done by Kirstie Alley in this performance, which I think you have a lot to say about where it's like, I was like, is my volume turned up right? <laughs> it's just so bad. It's really, really awful voiceover. Um, oh, I have so many thoughts about the voiceover. <laughs> um, and uh, then uh, after Scott Bakula's character seemingly has a breakdown, he comes back. The Ed O'Neill wins the sheriff. Jamie Gertz is. It, just, it, it does not matter. The end does not matter. The plot is there's a body. She's unhappy in her marriage. Bill Pullman. That's it. And yeah. but I, I don't even know if we should start from the top. Of, yes, right from the top of this movie with the music and these extreme. I mean, it feels sterile. It feels like a dentist's office. The whole movie to me right off the top feels like I'm in a dentist's office in 1990, right? Yes. Well, I will say I, I was very, I, in a certain way, I was very optimistic from the first couple scenes of the movie because it's Kirstie Alley driving in this weird 1990 car to her house. And then she gets out and walks into the house. And that's the whole opening credits. And there's, is there voiceover in that section or it's just music, I guess? I think <clears> there's just music. And then there's, and then it, like right from the credits, there's the opening credits sequence is just her driving. Just her driving, yeah. It's just it's her like, driving. It's not it even that. Reminded weird. Me, it reminded me very strongly of like uh, like a weird anime from this time uh, because it's like this is exactly what they were like. It's just like a weird sort of dinky but kind of fancy car driving through the woods with the sunshine, and then when Kirstie Alley gets out, she's wearing these like loose natural colored linens and i was like and i was like oh I, maybe i will love this movie maybe this will be like very soothing in a certain way well no there's um, definitely a sense of like this is so 1989 1990 when it kicks in that like it seems like it could be a fun time capsule but yeah. it's just it is not. The, it is not but then but then the voiceover starts and the voiceover is sort of it's it's worse than Mr. Destiny. Like we were talking about how bad the voiceover for Mr. Destiny was, but the voiceover for this movie is literally like, "Hello, my name is Jamie, and I am a woman and a wife, and this is our house. We got married in college. I used to want to be a writer, but then I never wrote because I was married. I got married, and marriage took away writing for me. I was always at my husband's side, and that's where our story begins." <laughs> it's shockingly how pedestrian this voiceover is like again i was wondering who this was made for i really felt like this was made for sundowning elderly people who in a waiting room you know who could just be like this is nice and then fall asleep well i think the thing you're forgetting is that like those people weren't 90 years old in 1990 they were just 70 they were still consumers you know like I think this I think this was just this was what a certain section of popular culture was like at this time, which is why I love doing this show, because things like this are like disappeared down the memory hole. Right. Like this doesn't exist on streaming anywhere. Like Ricky and I had to watch it on Daily Motion, where there's literally commercials every five minutes for the entire first half of the movie. I mean, luckily it's only two commercials, but I was like losing my fucking shit. I saw the same commercial for some kind of dog heartworm pill like five times in a row. <laughs> Did you find that this, like, like even when it tried to dip into sex jokes, though, it was so anodyne that that, that was another reason that I kept feeling like the end, also the wardrobe and the clothes, like all of this just felt like my grandmother in 1990, 1990, 1991. Like, and I think Carl Reiner was probably at this time, probably like you said, 70, 65, 70 years old. 
Well, exactly. I think you're. That, I think that is it. Like it is a movie made by a seventy-year-old person, but like trying to be kind of edgy and with it. Dude, but he was not... six. He was sixty-eight years old. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like something's got to give, you know, or it's like a Nancy Myers movie. It's like that, but from nineteen ninety. You know, yeah, yeah everyone's yeah. wearing loose natural linens and having gentle sex problems. You know, like, why is this the kind of movie that our elderly people love? I don't know, but they do. They love this stuff. I like Nancy Myers movies, and I will say it's of, it's yes, it's anodyne like like this movie, but there is a wit to them and a a belief I think that is a bit has a bit more depth than 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 this movie ever conjures. Also. Nancy Myers pulls a a much more consistent tone from from right. the, her performers than I mean this movie Carl Reiner does in this movie. Jesus this movie is nice. I mean I wouldn't I don't know like this movie versus like the worst Nancy Myers movie. I mean maybe they're like not that different, but I I don't really know enough about her to say or about Carl Reiner to be honest. But like, you know, obviously like Carl Reiner is capable of making a good movie, but this is like a real misfire, you know, from top to bottom. And it's exactly like you're saying, it just seems like nobody's at the helm. Nobody's telling the actors to like, what the kind of movie is that they're in, you know? They seem to just be left to their own devices. And it's, you know, it's pretty rude, honestly, to the actors, because they all, every one of them is different. Like when we're introduced to um, Bill Pullman and Ed O'Neill's character, they're like having dinner in a diner. And it's like a very much like meanwhile in another movie scenario. <laughs> For yes. the first like two scenes, you have no idea who they are. They have no connection to any, to like the other characters in the movie. And they definitely seem to be on a totally different tone than everyone else. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't even feel connected as a film. It's just like, here are some other people having another kind of life, you know? Was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was awful. No, I completely awful. agree. That you cut to them, and especially because Bill Pullman's performance is so outlandish. It's so flop-haired and over the top, and he it is more he, over the top than Spaceballs. It is more over the top than that. Honestly, he it's like Carl Reiner directed The Jerk, and it feels like Bill Pullman watched The Jerk. And was like, oh, this is what I have to do for Carl Reiner. And everybody else in the movie was told, no, 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 like play it down, play it down, right. try to play. I it did. Down. I did in, in the New York Times review. It does say like one wishes for Steve Martin. Can we talk about Kirstie Alley's uh, performance from right off, right off the top? Yes. So what I would like to say first of all, just to level set, okay, Kurt, this is movies from 1990. Cheers, 1993. This is. After the first Look Who's Talking, but before Look Who's Talking 2. So this is essentially peak Kirstie Alley. This is the most famous Kirstie Alley will ever be doing what she imagines to be the things that have made her one of the most famous people in the world at this point in time. So yes, that, this, is where we, this is where we're at culturally. And her performance is, like, I don't know how much cocaine she was doing off camera, but she is always out of breath. There isn't a moment, a scene in this movie where she isn't out of breath. I don't know if that's what she interpreted slapstick performances as, or she was doing lots of cocaine. But she I think that's her whole thing, right? Is she's just she's always going like, oh, oh, yes. oh. 
like every moment in the movie, like the moment where she's trying to get her husband to have sex with her in the beginning, she's like, like sloppily undre- undressing herself and like is like, hello, <laughs> honey, <laughs> hello, and it's like he doesn't even notice that, and it's like who would want to notice that? <laughs> she very dramatically takes off one part of her two-part nightgown set. <laughs> you know? it's, it's like what she's doing is so depressing. <laughs> oh my God, I know, right? And then when she has her fight with her sister, she's once again, like, just out of sorts and breath and breathy and, like, the whole, the whole time. And her Because her sister's like, hey, what's up? Have you ever had sex before? And she's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's impossible to watch. There is when she has a fight with her sister. Her sister goes, "Has has he ever even gone down on you?" <laughs> and though and uh, Kirstie Alley's like, "Who? What language? Who? <laughs> you know?" It's very yeah. yeah. They don't have any kids together. No, they don't have any kids together. That is true. I mean, is in that all honesty, addressed in the movie? No, it's not addressed at all. Um, through this through this section of the movie where we're supposed to Scott Bakula is like a successful doctor. He's like a real nerd. He's never paying attention to his wife. Uh, he's got this family of high-achieving nerds. And we're supposed to, like, you know, we're seeing him, like, trying to read Newsweek while his wife is trying to jump to, jump his, jump into his pants, right? And I was like, I mean, you know, I'm kind of on Scott Bakula's side. <laughs> like, definitely. Like, he's been at the fucking hospital all day. He's coming home. He just wants to, like, read a little bit and go to sleep. And his crazy wife, who doesn't have a job or a hobby or, you know, anything going on in her life is like very clumsily trying to seduce him. And he's just like, all right, all right. Okay. All right. Good night. <laughs> I was like, I think I would be behaving exactly like this in his, in his shoes. There, there are, I mean, there are a number of moments in the movie where he could be more attentive. Like I think the breakfast scenes where she's like running around trying to cook breakfast for everybody, which was also like, such an over-the-top, unbelievable performance on her part. Like, does anyone want, want coffee? Ah, ooh, ah, the kitchen! Like, you're supposed to believe that she does this every day, but she's she behaving no idea, as if right? she's never... Ex- like, the kitchen is attacking her, yet she's still... Like, she's behaving like she's... Like, it's an American Ninja Warrior <laughs> obstacle course in order to make coffee for people. Like, whereas, um, in fact, she is a rich, stay-at-home wife. Not even a stay-at-home mother, stay-at-home wife. Right. <laughs> so That's all she does all day. All she does um, is make coffee and like the big dramatic time where she's feeling so put upon and is meeting Sam Neal. It's like she was going to the store to buy stuff to make for dinner. Do you know what I mean? Like this is it wasn't like she was in the world's most put upon situation, you know. She had an unlimited amount of money and an unlimited amount of time to buy things to make for dinner. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Problems, I'm really her, sorry. That sounds awful. I'm really sorry. All, all her problems were are that her husband's too tired for boning and her sister's getting boned a lot. Like, and she, like and she, that, those, those were her main oh, problems. And her, I mean, it is true that her fam, her husband's family legitimately treats her like a slave. Like, which is kind of yeah, funny. That is true. <laughs> and he's very close to his family. But that's a whole part of the movie that, like, is just developed on the surface. That, like, he's too close to his family and they're too controlling over him. Like it just ends up playing out in sort of external ways rather than any kind of like pathological way that we get to see between them. And so it's, 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 it's also unbelievable and also leads to a number of moments where you kind of side with the family. Like there's, I mean, 
these scenes where Carrie Fisher's supposed to be being such an asshole to Kirstie Alley, it's like she's come over to her brother's house in the morning before work to say hello and chit chat a little bit. Like, I I don't know anyone else who does that. Like, that's actually very cool and nice, you know? And it's like, yeah, she had to leave in like 10 minutes and didn't have time to have a cup of coffee. But like, I don't know. It, they just seem to be good friends who lead very busy lives and are brother and sister, you know? Like, I didn't particularly think she seemed like the worst person in the world. Right, this movie seemed to be... Maybe it's just that Carl Reiner is too nice of a man and would, would kind of be like, oh, no, no, don't be too mean, Carrie. Well, see, no, like, I, I, I think also every, this gets... Everybody be nice to each other on Carl's set. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, you're still sisters. You're sisters. <laughs> but this does get back to what I, like my obsession with Martha, Martha Goldenhirsch and knowing what her life situation is. Because, okay, this movie is about a woman who is a rich housewife and who wants to be a writer but hasn't become a writer, okay? And then what we know about Martha Goldhirsch is that she is living in Malibu and it related, goes on to write a novel about rich children and families. And like, so obviously this is the situation that she is in, right? Like this is, this is her reality. So I think all the things that seem like not really that big of a deal and like, why would you even write about this? It's because these are the real grievances that she has in her actual life. And she's doing her best with her <laughs> limited imagination to like heighten them to an extent that, that you could put them in a film. Do you know what I mean? Oh my God, Chris, I figured it out. I figured it out. I know what, I know what happened. What, what, Ricky, please. Martha's husband was Rob Reiner's doctor. Oh my God. That could be it. That could definitely be it. And he was like, oh, hey, Rob, my, you know, my wife's got a script. She's really down. Like, do you mind checking, take, checking it out? And, and Rob Reiner was like, you know, you know what? I'll take a look at it. Give it to me. I'll take a look at it later today. Maybe my dad Carl want to direct it, okay? He's looking for a new project. He's saying he wants to get out of the industry. We'll, 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 we'll talk to him. Trump is the worst president there's ever been. <laughs> dude like i think this could actually be it you know like do you think my impression was anti-semitic should i cut that <laughs> i had i think i asked you the exact same question once about something that i did on a different podcast <laughs> i i think it was not a bad impression of a person who is actually like that but was it also anti-semitic mm, i'm not sure <laughs> well We'll leave it in and let the viewers decide. Always, <laughs> always the right move. Yeah, never backfires, no. No. Uh, but I think that might have been the case. It really feels like her husband was Rob Reiner's doctor, <laughs> and that's how this script got to him. That's so fucking stupid, and I really hope it's true. I hope it's so hard. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, you know, her writing is only mentioned twice in the movie, right? <laughs> At the top in the voiceover when she's like, I was supposed to be a writer, and then I got married. And then at the end... When and then, well, wait, she has a conversation with, with this fight with her sister. Her sister's like, you never write anymore. Why aren't you writing? Oh, I don't... I, I, I think I must have blacked out during that moment. You were looking at all up, the tropical fish, and you were, like, blinded. Because when it showed up in the, fi in, like, the final... In the last voiceover, the second voiceover, I mean, <laughs> and and... She was like, I started writing again. And you know what? My sister really liked it. 
and then I wrote an article and it got published. <laughs> oh my god, dude! As somebody who like you has like written articles, it was like so precious. <laughs> like I wrote an article, and then it was like her husband calls her and he's like, "Yeah, your sister sent me your article. Great job." It's amazing to me. I mean, obviously. I do think that at this period of time, writing an article was, was a much a bigger, bigger deal, deal yeah, because you actually got paid real money for it. It wasn't like you got like, you know, $75 and had to like chase it down for four months to, to, to get it and then got taxed on it. So only got like $30 afterward. Um, <laughs> Ricky, I get upwards of $80 for my articles, please. <laughs> um, but there is this like, like all the people like working on this movie, work in, in 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 an industry where like you have to get published like whether you're writing they know people who write articles they know people who write movies like why be so unrealistic about the process you know like it's not that it has to be a movie about writing but it also doesn't have to be idiotic yeah yeah and i don't even think like i don't even think necessarily that the thing she writes at the end was published anywhere i think she just wrote it no, it was published. I don't remember where it was published, but it was published. Okay. Because okay, there's, okay. A whole, there's a whole thing where like Jamie Gertz is like, like reads it and then grabs a pile of magazines and is like, I think that this could be published, and like starts calling, calling. Oh, calling that's right. This is actually them. really weird because, as I said, we watched it on Daily Motion. So the third half of the third section of the movie, it was it was flipped. Did you notice this? Like, yeah, I did. Yeah. So it's like there's all these scenes of her like writing envelopes to send things to magazines, and we were like, "Wait, what the fuck is going on? Is she like Leonardo da Vinci? Like, what is happening?" I want to go back and talk more about Bill uh, Pullman. Yeah, great. And how he deserves it, quite frankly. Yes, um, he is. Hello. Yeah, I just muted my microphone so I could cough for a second. Oh, what the fuck, man? You threw off my fucking shit. Fuck you, you piece of shit. I was trying not to interrupt you because I'm your good friend. I was about about to blow this thing wide open. Oh, you're fucking loading your jeans, you fucking horny beast. I already already did it. Uh, Cream my jeans, brother. (laughs) Cream my jeans. Cream my jeans, brother. Um, anyway, uh, this movie is like a really great calling card for Bill Pullman. Oddly. Do go on, please. Because it's so, so bad. But he is the only one doing anything with it. He seems to be the only one who knows what to do. Like, knows what a Carl Reiner movie looks like, which is like flat and dry. And so therefore, as a, as a director, and so therefore the performances need to pop a little bit more. And so therefore he's like it kind of like all over the place and he's a dra- he's a vertical drape salesman so he like is supposed to be disheveled and a fool and he actually creates a character nobody else really creates any kind of character yeah he seems to have like a discernible motivation and some kind of like consistent worldview and also they just give him a bunch of time to like be zany although i have to say his like so his big physical comedy scene is installing the vertical blinds, right? And this he's snuck into a hotel room and he's going to install the vertical blinds. And then, like, it doesn't really work. It's not really very funny. And I didn't even really understand. Like, I understood that he had hit the Sam, 
Sam Elliott on the head, but I was like, it didn't really read like he had murdered him. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't think he quite got the physicality right of all this stuff. I think some of his other stuff is good. Like, you know, his scene with Ed O'Neill is pretty good. And even his scene with his boss is like pretty good where he's being like, uh, what, who is it? Like Mort from the Simpsons, that guy, you know, like Jack Lemmon from Glengarry Glenn Ross. Like he's giving off that energy like very strongly. Uh, so that stuff is good. But his like when he really has like a moment to like do his physical comedy, it's like it's, they just kind of hang him out to dry. You know, it's like they just have the camera on him static while he's doing this. It's, it's not that great. It's not that great. Well, the, they hang everybody out to dry in this movie. And did you did you ever feel like did you ever feel like Kirstie Alley specifically was shot separately from other performers? In the movie? <laughs> you know, honestly, it didn't occur to me, but I would believe anything about this movie. It seems there's, to be like stapled together barely, you know? There are so many soft focus or like really shallow depth of field close-ups of, of, of her in scenes where it it feels as if she could have been shot at any point, and honestly, her eye line barely matches with the other actor. Well, this is um, what I was like, saying. I don't too even about... mean to get like technical about continuity here. I just mean like there are moments where you feel like, oh, this she's not in a scene with anybody. <laughs> I mean, it totally could be true. I mean, this is what I was saying before. Like, this is an artifact of the moment where Kirstie Alley was the most famous person in America. Like she could have asked for anything she wanted and they would have done it. You know, it was like a big deal to have Kirstie Alley in your romantic comedy. Uh, and it seems to have been totally squandered. And we made it an absolutely, absolutely awful movie. Like everyone hated this movie like so much, uh, which I think it was like you were saying it was on one of Roger Ebert's worst movies of the year. right? Oh yeah, that's right. So this movie and last week's movie, the Night of the Living Dead remake, those were both on the worst movies of the year on Rod Siskel and Ebert for 1990. I'm looking at a clip of here now. I mean, here is a comedy so lifeless and mechanical that the main diversion is in watching the way the pieces go together. But that's like even nice. I, I was reading the Washington Post review. It was like scathing. And now I can't find the screenshot that I found. But like, yeah, I mean, people absolutely hated this movie, which is... It's yeah, I mean, it's well deserved. It's well deserved. I get, I, I honestly get hating this movie. I could understand someone saying, "Why would you hate this movie? Like, it's not a big deal. It's just like this little movie. It doesn't mean anything." But there is something about it that is such a cloying disaster, and it really starts with Kirstie Alley's performance and Carl Reiner's. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's it's. It's everything is wrong. Everything is wrong about this movie. I mean, it's like I was saying, like it should. It's, it has the script of noises off, but it's directed like uh, I don't know, like a like a Nancy Myers movie. You know, it, it doesn't know what tone it has. It's not saying anything interesting. You're always rooting for the wrong characters, and I mean, we haven't even talked about this whole thing. Like, so the whole motivating thing of the farce is that yeah, Sam Neill dies. And then they're trying to get rid of the Sam body. Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sorry, sorry, Sam Neill. <laughs> so the whole thing is Sam Elliott dies, and it's like somehow Kirstie Alley and uh, Bill Pullman are going to try to 
get rid of the body, quote unquote. But what they do is they pretend that he committed suicide by like shoving a pencil down his throat and dumping pills down his mouth. And then uh, Kirstie Alley writes a suicide note for him. And then it gets discovered eventually that it was not, you know, the pills weren't really, wouldn't have killed you, blah, blah. But like, at the resolution of the movie, um, and like the police are chasing them, and it's like they're hiding from the police in a certain way. But then it's like it just all goes away, and the fact that they have like, you know, the Kirstie Alley fucked this guy to death, and that Bill Pullman shoved a pencil down his throat and poured pills down his throat, and that like they engage in this kind of conspiracy to make it seem like he committed suicide. That's all completely forgotten. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not a legal question anymore. Nobody's going to jail. It's not even like a moral question anymore. And in fact, the last line in the movie is Scott Bakula comes crawling back to his sister who fucked his brother to death. And as she's grabbing his shirt and pulling him in the house, she says, how's your heart? It's like, is that oh really something God. you can joke about? Can you really joke about that? Like, shouldn't it's you exactly be in jail? Felt, like, and it's not even played as a joke. It's played as a heartwarming thing. Like they think it's supposed to be this like double entendre, right? Of of course, like how's your heart? Because he had a heart attack while having sex. But also, how's your heart? So she says it sentimentally, and it's not like he laughs. He likes he he like like almost snickers, but it's shot from behind him, so you can't really see his face. But it's supposed to be like a touching moment, and it's like you are talking about a man that fucking. Died. Like it's his died. brother that he loves that you killed while committing while adultery. Now, fucking, right? Like it's not. So, it, oh my, it's so confused, and it's it's it, and you 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 can't fathom how anyone thought that that would work, because even even if it wasn't the fact that the, that they were that like she was having sex with his her husband him her husband's brother, it's also just a corny line. Right, so remove the context that makes it disgusting, and it's still just a corny line that doesn't work, and she can't sell it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all, and you just find yourself you just you're just wondering like, what am I supposed to be feeling? You know, like I I feel totally lost. Like I I don't like any of these people. I'm not rooting for them. I feel like everyone's done everything wrong. I mean, Kirstie Alley, she made this man's family think he had committed suicide because she didn't want to get caught committing adultery. Like, that's awful. And she's the, you know, we're not really supposed to even engage with it on that level at all. It's just supposed to be, like, zany, you know? But it's like, what a fucking sociopath that this bitch, like, yeah. cannot... Like, you, you committed adultery and you killed someone. Like, I mean, I know that's awful and it's going to be a huge thing, but, like... You tried to make his family think he was so depressed that he committed suicide? And the, that family is your it, family? Like You shoved pills down his dead throat. <laughs> like you forced pills down his dead throat. Also, you know what we haven't talked about yet? Within that scene where they shove pills down the dead throat is the removal of the condom. Mm. Yeah, so this is another My... big zany, funny thing in this scene. <laughs> right. But like I'm 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 only there's a great comparison to this scene, which is the scene in Teen Wolf where Michael J. Fox tells Styles that he's a wolf, and he, the what the what happens is he's like Styles, uh, I got I gotta tell you something, man. I got I gotta talk about something with you, and Styles is like, Whoa, you're not a fag, are you? And he's like, Uh, no, I'm, I'm a wolf. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool, right? Like. 
Bill Pullman and Kirstie Alley are looking at the dead body and there's still the condom on the body and they want to remove the condom. And like Bill Pullman has already stuffed pills down the dead guy's mouth. Yes. He's already touched the body and he goes, oh, I'm not touching a guy down there. That's too much for me. And he bails. That and is so, where I draw the line. And he Literally, that is, that is the literal line in the movie. That's where I draw the line is touching another man's penis. Mm, he yeah. has just been... He's about to commit a crime. I mean, he's already—he's already committed a crime. Yeah, shoved pills down a dead man's body, and he thinks he thinks that he has murdered him. Also, he because of this zany situation, he hit the body in the head with a with a curtain rod and thinks he killed him. And Christy Alley doesn't correct him and allows him to think that. And in fact, never in the course of the movie corrects him directly. (laughs) So I think in the universe of this movie, Bill Pullman just thinks he killed him. (laughs) You know. So where and but where he draws the line is touching a dick. Oh, right? yeah, that would you be know? that too. Ricky, can you imagine though touching another guy's dick? Oh, no. Nope. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Yes. yes, murderer, but no homo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then so then Kirstie Alley does it in another moment of like weird performance that's shot from an angle that's not funny and. You're just like, why wouldn't you get a close up of her face doing this here? Like, could you, did you only have a couple hours to shoot this? Like, she is shot from like five, six feet away, overhead from behind. And she's not really like, doesn't really even look like she's doing it. And I guess the joke is supposed to be that she's like trying to distract herself. But as the viewer of the film, logistically, I was like, is she even doing it right now? It doesn't really seem like she's doing it. Yeah, she's like, oh my god. She's like, oh, oh my god, oh my god. Uh, 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 okay, I got it. Whatever, I got it, and that's it. And then you like can I don't know if you can actually see her hands, but you don't like. I go. She has a she has a, a thing, a trash can. She throws it away. Okay, yeah, right. I was gonna say you don't even see her throw it away, but I guess that is uh, not true. You do see her throw it away, but it's like not really. You know what I mean? If this movie was from two thousand, there would be like a big drippy condom that she was holding. Oh. And it would get like stuck to Bill Pullman's face, and then that would be like 15 minutes of the movie, you know? Right, exactly. She'd pull it off, but somehow it would like shoot off his dick and like bounce off the wall and then hit Bill Pullman in the eye. And right, then yeah. he'd have like come in his eye and he'd go blind and like he'd bounce into another wall and fall down and like take the drapes with him and like knock the phone over and the phone would bounce up and like hit her in the face and she'd fall back down on the dick with it in her mouth and like Sam Elliott would wake up because he's suddenly getting a blowjob and it'd be like an adrenaline shot in the heart like a Pulp Fiction wake and that would be the end of the movie and then the three of them would be like super turned on by the excitement of the moment and all the adrenaline and they'd just all start fucking and they'd go hardcore in there for like, you know, maybe an hour, another two hours in the movie, just off and on, off and on, off and on. And um, then the movie would just end. My favorite part of that, uh, frankly, brilliant uh, fantasy was that you said, and then they go hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, we got the same thirteen-year-old that wrote the fucking sibling rivalry script to do our punch-ups. We're like, <laughs> then they totally do hardcore on each other. They're all giving each other hand jobs. <laughs> they're all going hardcore. It's going to be hardcore. They're all going hardcore on each other. Dude, they're all doing hardcore on each other. It's pretty awesome. Did you feel like sometimes the performances in this movie, Bill Pullman included, who we have praised, but only because it's within the context of this movie. 
uh, did you feel like the performances of this movie were like on the level when we do impression when we do like intentional bad impressions of over the top performances? Yes, yes, a hundred percent. It was like like. Like we make a joke about something, and we're like, "Ooh, I dropped the condom. I don't know what to do." But like that was actually well, that would be if John Travolta was in the movie. But yeah, definitely, it's 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 it is all at that level. It's very lazy. Nobody, I think they just shot it in like two different houses in in L.A. and they don't really seem to be that concerned about like what they're doing or how it's gonna play or. You know, doing making a good movie or like doing a good job, they're just kind of like hanging out. You know, that's true. It's like the hotel and the two houses, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like a play. It's like a. It's like a play. The scene in the movie where like all the family is together and Kirsty has to like uh, confess that she had an affair to to Scott Bakula, right? And he punches the window. Uh, uh, in the house and gets like kind of violent yet like nobody is nobody but him is playing it that way yes. it's once again so strange like he like he is trying he is an actor is like god i really feel like for what's going to happen to my character in the next scenes of this movie where i'm going to go off the deep end and i'm going to leave the family and i'm going to come back with a beard and have my own like sort of like you know, walk about because of this. I need to really be broken hearted in this scene, but the movie has no interest in doing anything with that or no idea what to do with that. And then before he does that, or even during while he's doing that, his family is badgering him to like leave her or like get, get him out of there. And we've kind of never seen the family really even do this before. Yeah. Right. They're just going like, we always knew she was trash. Uh, you know, but this woman who's done nothing but wait on them, them hand and foot. Yeah, right, exactly. But I mean, we do sort of have gotten the impression they barely think she's a human being because, like, yes. all she she is like when they have a family gathering, it's her job to cook for them, not to attend the family gathering. You know what I mean? Like, it's like she is obviously trash from what they think. But, yeah, um, but maybe she is. I mean, from what we see in the film, yes, she is trash. <laughs> she does fuck a dead body. She does fuck a dead body and loves it. She fucking loves, loves it. it. She loves it so much. She's like, Jerry Jiminy Christmas. Wait, it actually has in the Washington Post review um, some of the like actual things that they say. <laughs> it says, um, oh, ooh, this is delightful. Oh, in the God of Davida. Oh God! Oh God! Rock and roll! Oh my God! She says in a cotta de vita. Those are the actual lines. <laughs> you know, I I I don't like to sound like a um, a misogynist. I mean, first of all, you do, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's for you to say. Uh, <laughs> or like someone who would be. Uh, who wouldn't li be listening to his sexual partner. But if I was in bed with a woman and she sincerely, earnestly said, in a cara de vida, I don't think I would be able to continue. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a think. I know I wouldn't be able to continue. In a cara de vida or rock and roll, I, 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 would, I would be like, I, I'd be like, who, who am I in bed with right now? What's I think, happening? I think if someone said rock and roll in bed, I could, I could let that slide. 
Like if it was a really hot girl and we were in the in, we were mid coitus and she went, oh, rock and roll. Like, I wouldn't think it was good, but I would be like, eh, you know, whatever. I can I can let that slide. Honestly, if she said rock and roll, like as we were about to hook up, the way that um, the, 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 the pop star from uh, Empire Records says rock and roll when he thinks that Liv Tyler is going to give him a blowjob. Yes. Uh, what's that character's name? Oh, I forget. I think we have already talked about this on this show somehow. We have. But anyway, he goes, rock and roll. If I was about to hook up with a girl and she did that and she was like, rock and roll, I would get into it. If we were mid-coitus and she was like, rock and roll, I would kind of be like, um, I don't understand. Am I like having sex with someone in an Aaron Sorkin movie right now? <laughs> rock and roll. Like in Akata Devita, is this a sex scene in the trial of the Chicago Seven? <laughs> in Akata Devita. Well, see, Ricky, yeah. what's funny is it's funny because these are these are odd things to say if you were having if you were experiencing lovemaking with someone. You know, they are they are sort of self-conscious and a little bit weird to say. So it's it makes for a very funny scene. This is what I think you're not getting. Oh my god, so funny. Um, the last thing before we get into the, the, the our usual questions. Uh, the last thing before we get into our usual questions, did you feel like Kirstie Alley's voiceover in the last uh, portion of the movie was read while she was on barbiturates or yes. was like totally asleep? Yes. Like literally in PJs, did not give a fuck, had maybe already seen a cut of the movie and hated it or something, or was told that it's not working out. And is like, yeah, so then my sister came over and read my script. She really liked one of my scripts, and um, they wrote it, and then all of a sudden my husband came over. And then, you know. Yeah, this is probably, like, the fifth time they brought her in for ADR, because they keep, like, changing what the voiceover is supposed to be and, like, trying to insert things to make the movie, like, make some kind of sense. Like, it's strangely lazy-sounding. It's, it's, it's almost... This is, what I was, this is what I was saying at the beginning. I was like... It sounds like something you have never heard on film before because it's so little effort is going into like the way that she's doing these line readings, you know? It's like, and then I read a script, and then I read a story, and my sister said she loved it. And then it got published, and it was great, and I loved to do writing. <laughs> and I love to do writing. <laughs> And then I'm out of script. It's very Brando-esque. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's doing Brando at the end. She's like, she's like, my husband left me. Look, and then he left the family, and he left me. And then I was living in the same house for some reason, even though I don't have any discernible source of income. Have you ever seen a snail walk on the edge of a straight razor? <laughs> it's a butter. It make me call, call me pig. I wanna call you pig. Put the butter on your butt. Okay, Chris. What was your favorite part of the movie? Hey, Ricky. Well, there were so many highs. It's really hard to pick a favorite. Um, <laughs> but if I had to pick a favorite part of the movie, it would have to be. So we've been talking a lot about the scene where uh, Bill Pullman and Kirstie Alley are in the hotel room with the body of Sam Neill and they're taking the condom off and they're shoving pills down his throat. 
But what we have not mentioned up to this point is that in this in this scene with them is not Sam Elliott who has died. It is the world's craziest looking fake Sam Elliott head. <laughs> this prosthetic head with a prosthetic mustache on it that is sticking off his body in the world's most unnatural way. <laughs> it's very much looks like they glued cat fur to a mannequin head, which I may be what happened. <laughs> so, uh, and that this head is in a solid 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, maybe 20. And uh, that was definitely my favorite part of the movie was the, the Sam Neill skull. Just hanging out when she pulled the condom off? Yeah, just hanging out, just like like looking very lifeless and disconnected to a body, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite part of the movie was Bill Pullman's go-for-broke performance. Yeah, I mean, he is really going for it, and he's really putting himself out on a limb and, like, opening himself up to looking ridiculous, which, you know, he does. They actually, in that Washington Post interview I was reading you, it's they're very mean about Bill Pullman. It says Bill, <clears throat> it says Bill bad timing Pullman, who is to comedy what an earthquake is to a rising souffle. <laughs> That's not very nice. No, it's not really nice at all. Rita Kempley, Washington Post staff writer. Very rude. But I think there's something, there's something so, it doesn't really work. And I don't think it's just the movie's fault that it doesn't work, but there is something watchable can't take your eyes off of his performance where the rest of the movie you can very easily take your eyes oh, off yeah. of. <clears throat> well, he just seems to be like, he's a very complicated and insane person who is very genuine. He's one of the only genuine characters in the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he inexplicably turns himself in for this murder that he's gotten away with in his own mind, but he's like <laughs> racked by guilt and he turns himself in and he doesn't implicate Kirstie Alley at all. Like, because the whole thing is they are both involved and he's kind of threatening her that he's going to tell on her if she doesn't, you know, help out with getting rid of the body. But then later on in the movie, completely without warning and or seeming motivation, he turns himself in and also doesn't mention anything about Kirstie Alley to the police, which was like, I mean, very odd, but it was in a certain way keeping with his character, you know? Yeah, he's a fool. Yeah, like, like in a Shakespearean sense. Yeah, he's a Shakespearean fool. He's, a, he's you know, honestly, like when I say, he's the Greek chorus. No, he's like the Greek chorus. I he's really... He's like the, like the yeah. Greek chorus. It was really cool the way he was, like, mirroring. I thought it was really very interesting. Um, I agree. I agree. The one thing that I thought also was that uh, Ed O'Neill's sort of blind ambition to become the sheriff being then blindsided mm. by Holman's own pull towards morality mm. with his confession, I thought it was a very... Um, a very complex uh, adult take on what would 30 years later be um, what we refer to as a cab or uh, all cops are, are, are bastards, but proving that maybe they aren't 30 years ago. Mm. So this movie was ahead of the ahead of its time. It's very much ahead of its time, and I love that you said a cab, which I say it means all croissants are bread. I love to hear you say it, and with different words, very interesting. 
Um, and I love Ed O'Neill in this movie because he's, as you said, he's a naked careerist. He's campaigning to be appointed sheriff or head of police or something. And the whole movie he's saying to Bill Pullman, don't you get me in trouble. I've got to get my big promotion at work to be the number one cop. But then when Bill Pullman is really actually in trouble and he says, hey, bro, I'm in jail because I murdered someone. Ed O'Neill stands up from the uh, very comely fish saleswoman that he has been courting. And he says, look, I don't care what he did. He's my brother and I got to help him out. And then apparently he engaged in some kind of high-level corruption where his brother, who theoretically confessed to murder, is uh, let off the hook. And I thought that was beautiful. I really did think that was beautiful. But wasn't it weird, though, that like his everything that we saw prior to that moment wasn't that different than that moment? Like, when we're introduced to him, he's helping his brother. Yeah, he's helping his brother the entire time. But he's also kind of saying, like... But he's, also, he's not a dick about it, either. He's like, hey, I'm running for office, so, like, please don't get into too much trouble. Like, I am running for office. Yeah, the which first is thing that he does is, he's like... The first thing that he does is Bill Pullman is like, I'm a little... I'm behind on my rent, so I'm gonna, you know, go give him a partial payment soon. And then O'Neill goes, look, I'll give you all the money. Don't worry about it. You're my brother, and I love you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, so, like, why is it such a huge change for his character to do that when his brother goes to jail. It's not like it wasn't like he was hiding his brother before that. It wasn't like he was doing anything that was like that different than lo- being a loving, helpful brother. Like the night that his brother goes to jail, he was supposed to come over for dinner with the new with his girlfriend that he wanted to introduce well, his, his brother to. His first real date with this hot fish sales lady he met on an official murder investigation. Yeah, who the next day shows up at her sister's house and it's like her sister's like, Wow, you really love this guy. And I was like, I like I jumped out of my seat and I was kinda like, It's been a day. Yeah. This movie's timeline has been a day. Also, you could make the case that this is like a gross misconduct that Ed O'Neill met this woman in the course of an official investigation, which is why he knows where she lives and knows her information, and then proceeds to stalk her and, you know, ask her out on a date which i'm sure she felt like she couldn't say no to i mean it's a police officer he's got a gun on his belt you know and he's like hey i really thought we hit it off you want to go out to dinner with me <laughs> come on why not you're a girl i'm a guy let's go come on we're both single what are you what are you some kind of lesbo hey don't make me arrest you for a date haha ha, just kidding haha ha, just kidding as he like fingers his handcuffs on the side of his belt Hands up! Hands up! Yeah, I mean, it'd be like the scene in Magnolia. Yeah, exactly. I actually don't remember uh, what you're talking about in Magnolia, although I've seen it several times. Oh, well, John C. Riley like goes to Melora Walters' apartment because there's a noise complaint, and she's in there doing blow and listening to music. She hides the blow, and then he goes in, and they talk for a little while, and then as he's leaving, he, like get nervous and then knocks on the door and asks her out on the date. And he's like, I feel like a real, you know, dirtbag coming in here as an officer of the law and asking for this. But I feel like I, I just, I, I, I'd be, it'd make it be a real mistake to not ask you out tonight. And she's all fucking coked up. And it's like, you want to ask me out on a date? <laughs> anyway, 
Um, Chris, what uh, was the most, uh, you know, this movie was made in 1990. Um, granted, it's probably more of an 80s movie than a 90s movie, but most of the movies we're going to talk about take place in the 90s. What is the most 90s thing about this movie? Oh, well, I think there's a lot. I think the sex stuff is all very weird and ni- late 80s, early 90s kind of stuff. But um, one thing I thought of, so we've talked about this dynamic between Christie Alley and her sister, where like her sister is like this crazy sex crazed woman and Christie Alley is just like a normal repressed lady in a sexless marriage. Um, I I think there's been a real fundamental shift in media in the last 30 years where like movies used to be about boring people who had kooky best friends, but now they're about interesting people who have boring friends. So I thought... That was a real time shift for me. Like, I feel like now a movie's about, like, it's about her sister. And then, like, occasionally her, uh, Kirstie Alley comes in and is like, I don't know, are you sure you should be fucking all the fish delivery men? And she's like, shut up! But then she's like, well, maybe my sister's right. I don't know. You know, whereas in 1990, it was like, a kooky woman who's had an orgasm? Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe I should try to have an orgasm sometime. Oh, that is true. That is a good observation. I never, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Thank you very much. It's yes, just because of how fucking smart and insightful I am. But yeah. But you can also see that you can. But it's a, there's also a clear progression in that that you can see, like even just in sitcoms, which is kind of the closest thing that you can compare this movie. Yeah, to. Yeah, it is very much like a sitcom. Like, yeah. In terms of its tone and also sort of like cultural standing, who it was probably made for, um, and. As, as the 90s progress and you get to Friends, which was probably the most mainstream, sexually frank show of the 90s, yeah. um, you know, it ends up like the conversation surrounding sex and enjoyment and, and women becomes much more on the side of Jamie Gertz's character than Kirstie Alley's character. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I think the most 90s thing about this movie um is bill pullman <laughs> like That's his performance or just his existence as a human his existence i mean i know that he was in some stuff in the 80s but really his decade was the 90s independence day yeah. lost highway zero effect um those to me are the bill pullman classics i never particularly liked Spaceballs. Um, whoa, 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 Ricky. I mean, like, let, we're all for having a good time, and we're all we're both saying all kinds of off-the-wall stuff, okay? But, like, you don't like Spaceballs? I mean, come on. You don't even like Spaceballs? Balls. Even when you were an eight-year-old boy, you didn't like Spaceballs? Maybe then, but I didn't, it didn't last long. If you were 10 years old in South Florida in 1992, it was maybe the funniest thing you've ever seen in the entire world. Chris, I, you know, so uh, the other question is, you know, the big question that's concerning this movie, Sibling Rivalry, directed by Carl Anderson. Mm-hmm. The big question is, movie starring Christy Alley, Bill Paul, uh, it came out 30 years ago. You kind of already said this, I think. I think your answer about what was the most 90s thing about it may actually have been the answer to this as well, which is, what do you think it's grown out of? Well, there's lots of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that this thing I was talking about, about the way that the plot is structured and that you're, you're supposed to identify with the character is also the absolutely insane treatment of, of sex, where the idea that a woman could be like 40 years old and have never had an orgasm is presented as like, you know, normal, <laughs> you know? 
Um, but I will also just say, this is something you are obsessed with. Um, I just think the way Kirstie Alley is in this movie is like, I, I cannot imagine a movie existing right now that had this level of flat line readings for the entire film. And like, I'm supposed to find them charming, I guess. Like, um, I, I just literally cannot see a movie getting made where you have to be Vin Diesel to get away with stuff like this right now. Like, yes, can Vin Diesel, could they make a reboot of this movie where Vin Diesel is in the Kirstie Alley character and he could have equally flat line readings? Yes. But then maybe this is what I, I keep saying. It's a function of Kirstie Alley having been so famous at the time that it was like she just could do anything. And it was like they were they believed it was great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, what, what do you think we've grown out of, Ricky? I mean, that is interesting. She is really, she is extremely bad in this movie. Um, I, I honestly, right, a, right, a, right away, and it's, it's not a great answer, but... Th- the entire style of the movie, the flatness of how it's shot, the music that's used in the movie, the way everybody looks, it feels like a very, like a, a time capsule of literally like a month in 1990. Yeah. yeah, yeah, never before or since. This is just a completely a snapshot of this crazy world that was the world. And, and I, I, that's what I love about doing the show. And that's what I love about having to fucking track down this wide release movie with a half dozen still famous movie stars, <laughs> but like that has been completely disappeared from popular culture. You cannot find it anywhere. You basically have to like buy the VHS tape at a uh, thrift store in a vacation town. <laughs> like that's the only way to see this movie. Um, and I, I thought I was honestly, I find things like this enchanting in a certain way because it's it's deeply nostalgic because, but in this interesting way, because usually nostalgia is for this like sort of fake version of things that you make up in your mind. But I love nostalgia that is for like the actual real way things really were. <laughs> like, And that's, uh, that. this movie accessed that on, on a completely on that level. And I, I really liked it. I don't think there's a better way to wrap this up than 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 what you just said, except to say that next week we've got uh, Scary Town, Jacob's Ladder. Ooh. <laughs>